You're listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim. To find out more, go to calvaryanaheim.org. And now, here's Pastor James. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 14. We'll be starting at verse 24 tonight. Last week we did the first half of the chapter. And what a beautiful half of the chapter that was. Remember the setting, it's the Battle of Michmash. And the Philistines are these foreign oppressors of Israel. And so they had garrisons stationed throughout Israel. And one of those garrisons was at a town called Geba. Well, Jonathan took his army and attacked Geba and defeated the Philistines there. The Philistines got really upset about that, and they gathered a massive army to gather at that town called Michmash. Saul, you remember, retreated back to Gilgal along the Jordan River, and and that's where, as his people were hiding and as they were fleeing for their lives and even joining the Philistine army because of their fear, Saul became impatient. And instead of waiting for Samuel to come as he was supposed to in order for Samuel to do the priestly duty of sacrificing to the Lord, Saul went ahead and took it upon himself to do that. He panicked. And he got in trouble for it. In fact, Samuel said, because you've done this, Saul, the kingdom is going to be taken from you. And so there was this reliance on religion over relationship. And it's it's pretty sad as we go through the story of Saul because it's really the survey of the demise of a man from a really good guy, the good guy in the story, right? to the bad guy. For any of you that are Star Wars fans, it's like the story of Anakin Skywalker, you know, the good guy, and then he goes through different events and circumstances and responds badly and becomes Darth Vader. Oh, God. So here it's similar with Saul. He's got such a good start and he's the hero. And then he goes through some circumstances and he responds badly. And we see him get worse and worse until later on in this book we will find him committing unthinkable deeds in a bad way, dastardly deeds. So let's go ahead and get into, oh, well, first I want to say that after Saul did this and disobeyed and and sacrificed, the army moved, and they moved up, and there was only 600 of them left against this massive Philistine army, and they were across from one another, and it was just nobody was acting, nobody was doing anything. Saul was scared and immobilized. He didn't know what to do. He did nothing. He sat under a pomegranate tree. Meanwhile, his son Jonathan and his armor bearer, they go out in faith and they approach the enemy, and God gives them a green light to attack just the two of them. And we saw this incredible act of 
faith as Jonathan and his armor bearer drop 20 men right away and then the rest of the army begin to tremble and they trembled in the field and they trembled in the camp and the earth trembled. God even sent an earthquake. They got confused. They started killing each other and fleeing in every direction. And meanwhile, Saul's listening to what's happening, and it's getting louder and louder and louder until finally he realizes, I just need to join the battle here. And he does. And all the terrified Israelites come out of their holes behind their thickets and their pits and their ditches. And even the ones that had defected over to the Philistines, they came together and they fought against the Philistines and they routed them. And that's where we are in verse 24, is we are in the middle of this battle. They've just had this incredible victory because of Jonathan and his armor bearer and their great faith. Nothing that they did to earn God's favor. No signs of of any kind of religious motions that they went through to impress God. Just simple, unadulterated faith. We just trust you, God. You're able to save with many or with few. We're few, we're going for it. And boom, God did it. And so they've got the Philistines on the run and they are on their heels. Verse 24, and the men of Israel were distressed that day. For Saul had placed the people under oath, saying, Cursed is the man who eats any food until evening, before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. Oh, Saul, 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 what are you doing? So he doesn't make a suggestion like, Hey, everybody. This is so exciting, I'm gonna fast for the day. I feel led to fast because perhaps that will benefit us and God will favor that fast. And I would like to invite you to join me if you'd like. But if you don't feel led, don't worry about it. No, he doesn't do that. He says, I'm putting you all under an oath. You're gonna be cursed, cursed by God if you eat anything until the evening. And so this was Saul's fast. This was not a fast that was instituted by God or that God told them to do. It was a tradition of men. It was an addition to God's law. It was like the Pharisees and their Sabbath rules that they would do. And they had some crazy ones, you know, like the one I can think of off the top of my head right now is, hey, you can't, on Sabbath day, you can't take more than 100 steps from your home but my chair is part of my home. I consider it my home. Technically, my chair is my home. So I'm going to take my chair, I'm going to walk a hundred paces, I'm going to put it down, I'm going to sit in it, my home. And now I'm going to pick it up again and walk another hundred paces. I found a loophole to the law of God. You see, this kind of thing where God's in heaven just shaking his head going, what in the world are you guys doing? You're missing the whole point. You're adding all these rules and restrictions and regulations that I had no intention to put on you. And here, this is what Saul is doing in an attempt to really control the people. 
because he wants to have an utter victory over his enemies that have frustrated him and made him angry. He wants a glorious victory that they will never forget. He wants to wipe them off the face of the map. And so he's thinking, if I incentivize these people by telling them they can't eat anything until they've succeeded with this, then this will keep them from stopping and taking the time to eat and getting lazy in things like that. But this was a very unwise decision. You see, first of all, spiritually it's unwise because it takes the focus from the grace of God that the people have witnessed and are experiencing as they chase the enemy. And it takes the focus and their thinking from Jonathan's bold act of faith and it puts it on Saul and the fear of reprisal. As, as they're now chasing the enemy and thinking the king is going to kill me if I, if I eat anything, but I'm starving and I'm getting weak. And so it becomes a thing of bondage to these people and it sucks the joy out of the day when this is supposed to be a day of great rejoicing, of victory over the enemy, of praising God for Jonathan's faith and the great work that God did, this wonderful miracle. And now they're just full of heavy burden, can't eat. And the army that should be at its best becomes weak and discouraged, demoralized. And this is what the law does, friends, for us. <laughs> Trying to be saved by doing good works or putting all kinds of regulations and restrictions on ourselves that God has no intention for us to have. It sucks the joy out of our lives. And it sucks, it sucks the, the great rejoicing in faith and in God's grace that we're just saved. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, it's all faith, and all glory goes to God. We, we can't brag. And so that's what's happening here with these people as they become discouraged. That's what happens to us when we try to approach God through good works we become discouraged because we can't do it. You see, what happens because of our pride is we either fail and then condemn ourselves and just, you know, our internal dialogue becomes, I'm an idiot, I'm no good, I can't do anything right, God doesn't love me because I'm not a, being a, approving, you know? So that's one thing. And the other way is, I did it, I did it. I did it. I am awesome. I am so amazing. Look what I have done. And we get puffed up with pride. Both ways, it's pride, and it's both looking to self and to works rather than simply leaning on the grace of God and going, man, Jesus did it on the cross for me. 
and whether I do well because, man, the Holy Spirit just empowers me and, and I'm doing well here, or I slip and fall, God loves me no less either way. Now, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in victory. I want that. But if I don't, Jesus Christ's blood cleanses me of all of my sin. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful for that. Now, it says, so none of the people tasted food. This is the end of verse 24. They went ahead and went along with this oath that Saul put them under, this legalistic, unwise oath. Take a look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4 on this topic of legalism and of following the traditions of men rather than simply relying on grace through faith. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Whoa, that's pretty serious. They're going to leave faith. Instead of trusting in God, they're going to trust in works. And this concept, this doctrine is a doctrine of demons, and it comes from deceiving spirits. And so verse 2, it says, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. So right here, it says that we are not to forbid people from getting married. Now, there are marriages that are not sanctioned by God. God defines a marriage to be between a male and a female. And he says also, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. But he will honor a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever. And so if that happens, you're to remain married. You are married. But... Uh, here, forbidding to marry is that there are groups of people who would say, you may not get married. You must remain single. And this is not of the Lord. We know that the Catholic Church is very well known for practicing this. And it has not had good fruit, friends. And so, it's not of the Lord to put rules and regulations on people that God is not putting on people. Now, some people are called to be single, and it's a gift from the Lord. And they can voluntarily accept that gifting and follow God and devote their entire life to the Lord. The Apostle Paul did this, and he encouraged others to do the same if they would like. But he said it's better to marry, though, than to burn with passion. If you don't have the gift, don't do it. You see, he said there's freedom in Christ, and that's the key, and that's important. And there's a big difference, friends, between doing the work of the Lord because you have voluntarily decided to do it and from feeling a sense of obligation that you must because 
of the rules and the regulations. And, and that's how you're going to make God happy kind of thing. It's so much more joyous to do it because you just love Jesus and you want to follow him rather than I must, I have to. Oh, what a terrible trial. I'm doing what you say, God, but I'm not happy. Man, what a miserable place to be. And that's why the Bible even says that God loves a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver, someone who just says, God, this is yours. I'm giving it out of, from my heart for joy in response to what you have done for me. And so these rules, these regulations, these doctrines of, it, it's, it's doctrines of demons forbidding to marry, middle of verse 3, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. There's something called asceticism. It's a severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. God's not into this. Yes, he ordained fasting. Yes, he, he wants you to be committed to him and obedient to his commands. But he wants you to do it with joy. Jesus came that you might have joy, that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Not that you would whip yourself and hurt yourself, but that you would love life, have a good time. He who would love life and see good days, right? The Bible says. So verse 4, for every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So whatever comes before you, you're free to eat it. It's sanctified by the word of God. And here the, the Bible's teaching that we pray over it. God, please help me not to get sick from these monkey brains that I'm about to eat. And then we can take those monkey brains and eat them if we want to, you see. But the opposite, what the opposite looks like is in our little special group, we think it's wrong to eat monkey brains. Not only is it not preferential, oh, it's wrong. It's sin. And so we all sit down and someone says, I brought monkey brains. And they look at him and go, oh, you're evil for bringing monkey brains to the, I don't know why I picked monkey brains, guys. I have no idea. I heard a story one time about a missionary eating monkey brains, I think. And that's why it came up. But, but hopefully you're understanding the point. And in our culture, you know, you sit down at the table and someone has, they break out a beer at their dinner table. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. We got to be careful, friends. Bible says it's wrong to get drunk. I don't drink at all. I, I choose not to do that. But the, I have very good Christian friends who have no problem having a, a drink with their meal. And some of you do the same. And if you're not getting drunk, you're not to be judged. 
We're not to judge you. And so we be careful of adding rules and regulations to God's word that he never put into his word. And there are some gray area decisions that we go, that's between them and the Lord, and I truly will not judge them for that. But it's also between me and the Lord. And so, you know, he's going to give me both restrictions and freedoms that you may not have. And he will give you freedoms and restrictions that I may not have. And so there's these gray area things where we just leave it between that person and the Lord, even in our hearts. And we don't put other people in bondage. We don't force our restrictions on other people. But we just say, that's between them and God. Now, there are some things that are very clearly against God's will for your life because they're just not good. Drunkenness is one of those. Pornography, obviously. Sex outside of marriage, yes. And we, the list goes on with some very black and white issues. But then there's the gray area things and there's the societal things. Our group doesn't think highly of that. <laughs> and so if you do that, boo! So let's be careful of legalism, friends. It's a doctrine of demons when we begin to forbid things that are not forbidden specifically by God. All right, let's take a look at Colossians chapter 2 on this, and I have it on the screen here. Verses 20 through 23, it says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. Why are you putting rules and regulations on what you consume on yourself when God has not told you to do that? And on others, these are doctrines of men, not of God not of God. Now, I'll tell you that I eat hardly any sugar anymore as far as dessert. I can't even remember the last time I had ice cream or a cookie. And you should all stay away too. <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> Makes you want to go out and have an ice cream cone, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah. Now, I don't do that not because God, well, he kind of did tell me to quit it. But I, so this is one of those restriction things that's like the Lord has spoken to me that when I eat a, a nice dessert, like a big ice cream or a cookie or a donut, I get aggro. I get really grumpy. It's just how I respond to sugar. It impacts my wife and my children and my relationships and so, finally, after years of everybody suffering, I said, no more. <laughs> and do I still cheat now and then? Yes, I do. But not that much. The point is, though, is that this is what is needed for me 
to have good relationships, but it would be really wrong for me to put that on you and to judge you. If we go out to eat and you order an ice cream cone and I'm going, you eat ice cream. That's not healthy for you. That's very unhealthy. How's your mood going to be after you eat that? Are you still going to be nice to me? You know? I mean, this kind of thing. We don't do that to each other, friends. This is God is saying, no, don't do that. Verse 23, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. False humility. False humility. Did you get that? You see, we, we should picture the Pharisees here. When they fast, they do it to be seen by men. So they're not really being humble, but they're giving the appearance of humility, right? They dishovel their hair and grow their beards out and go around moaning because they don't get food. Oh, woe is me. What's wrong with you? I'm fasting. I'm so spiritual. Wow, you're humble. Yes, I am very humble. You've been listening to Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais of Calvary Anaheim in Anaheim, California. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to visit. Check out calvaryanaheim.org for location, service times, and more. We'd love to hear from you. To let us know how God has touched your life through this program or to submit a prayer request, simply go to calvaryanaheim.org and scroll down to the Get in Touch form at the bottom of the homepage. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen again next time for another edition of Word and Spirit with Pastor James Beauvais. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Anaheim.